Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Pasta or big dirty bowl of spaghetti bolognese. Like we, we call it, I'm, I'm from, I'm from Casatara in Calvin. And the village, I used to play football for Ballyhays. And when we come home from school, like primary school, my dad would be like, I have a big plate of spaghetti Ballyhays for you. <laughs> so it's known as spaghetti Ballyhays in this house. It's the Keith Walsh Podcast. It's essential like your breakfast. It will get you up and going, there's the things you didn't know. Yeah, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast. It's the Keith Walsh Podcast. Give you energy like buck fast. And if your head's in a pickle or you're looking for a giggle, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast. Yeah. Good evening. Good good night. It's feckin' 25 past 11. And I've just been dicking around, doing nothing all day, and... I finally, at 25 past 11, I thought, I better get this podcast up. Now, I haven't been doing nothing all day, but I've, it's been one of those days where I felt like I've done nothing. Really kind of like, just foggy brain, can't can't get a handle on stuff, and, you know, just everything just seems all over the place. And I did get stuff done, you know, but it's just... There was no sense of, uh, yeah, I sat down and I got this done. Now, having said that, I was on with Pat Kenny this morning. This morning. <laughs> it's very late. I was on with Pat Kenny this morning. Um, he does a book club, which I'm now a member of. I think everyone's a member of it, but I'm on air every few weeks, every month. So you read a book. There's um, me and two ladies. Stephanie Preisner is one of them. And Claudia Carroll, I think. I should know her name. That's very rude of me. Uh, the the actress, writer, she was in Fair City. And I think she's not in Fair City anymore. Or she is every now and then, but she's a writer. Um, and she's got a quite... A good few books uh, published. This is only my first week as part of the book club panel, so um, forgive me if I'm if I if I appear rude that I don't know her name. But um, let me just find it. Let me just find it. Bear with me. Do, 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 do. You just talk amongst yourselves there and. Uh, you see, instead of Googling it, I decided to go into my Twitter feed because there was some mention today of the people. And um, she, I followed her and she followed me and now I can't find it. I'm pretty sure it's Claudia Carroll. Yes, I was right, Claudia Carroll. Author faithfully promises never to tweet photos of any of the following. Lovely views, cute kittens, or any kind of food ever. 
Claudia. Anyway, so it's uh, me, Claudia, and Stephanie, and we read a book. And then we go on every month over Thursday. Today is Thursday, isn't it? And um, we review it. Stephanie picked the book. She seemed to like it. Claudine, Claudia seemed to think it was a nice book. A lovely book, I think she said. And I hate it. And I just thought it's best to be honest. Um, it just wasn't my kind of book. It was a book about... Um, it's called Space Hopper. And it's basically a book about a woman who discovers she can travel back in time uh, by getting into the, her old, the old box of her Space Hopper that she got for Christmas. Um I don't know why she still had the space opera box. But anyway, it was kind of nice idea. There was lots, lots of nice ideas in it. And she got to see... Her mother died when she was young. And she got to meet her again. And, you know, there's some cool stuff in it. But, um, you know, there was kind of a little twist in the end. But it just wasn't. It wasn't for me. It was... There was some nice thoughts and ideas. And, but, you know, I wouldn't be recommending it. Unless, if you like... It's probably the type of book you get, like, just go on holidays and then... Stephanie said she read it in three hours, so she obviously just really loved it and, you know, wanted... Like, there was some bits... There was bits in it that I really looked forward to, and I was like, oh, this is good. But they were few and far between. And then there was a lot of times where you're just like, I'll just get through this chapter because I know what's happening here. There's not, there's no nothing happening here, really. It's just descriptions of things. And so there you go. There's my... um. It's Keith's non-recommendation, and I have to pick the book, the next book. So, having said that I didn't like Stephanie's choice, I better be careful what book I choose because, you know, could be in trouble here. I could be in big trouble. Anyway, that's that's what I did today, and then I was part of a meeting. We're trying to set up a group. Um, at the moment, it's called Men Against Male Violence. And we're trying to organise a group of men and women. Um, we're trying to get we're trying to get men to realise uh, how bad things are, and that we need to get involved, and we need to be um, an ally to women, and they're not having a good time of late. Uh, having said that, people tend to hear that and think. And say things like, well, not all men are violent and rapists and all, and that's fine. But that's not the point. The point is that uh, it's, it's generally men. And also people say, well, what about men's mental health? And if you're, you know, men are, men are feeling bad because you're generalising. And that's fine as well. But we, two things we can look at at the same time is violent, violence towards women, usually um, at the hands of men. And we can look at men's health and mental health at the same time. It doesn't have to be one or the other. So That's the cracks. We had our first meeting, and uh, yeah, I would say it's, it was an historical occasion because I don't think there's been a group like that set up um, on a national scale, but we'll, we'll wait and see. We don't even know exactly what it is. It's all very early stages, but it was great to see a good turnout of... We had about 30 people on a Zoom call, so... A Zoom call that I had set up, and then they're like, fucking... The internet went. <laughs> I couldn't. I was like five minutes late starting the Zoom call because I couldn't get the fucking thing working. But anyway, 
I almost had a panic attack. Didn't have a panic attack. Got on Zoom. Got the meeting going. And it was grand. Right. That's enough shit talk for me. If you're if you're new to the podcast, it's your first time listening. Uh, you're very welcome. If you like the podcast, please do like it. Click like and subscribe. And uh, tell your friends. And yeah, uh, give us a review, like a five-star review. Because all those things help the algorithm and help the podcast do well. It is part of the... Acast Creator Network, so thank you very much to Acast. And uh, what else do I need to say? That's kind of it, really. Um, lots of, this is episode 81, so lots of episodes to discover if you are new. Enjoy them, and feel free to email me, keithwalshpod at gmail.com is the email address. keithwalshpod at gmail.com um, Right, that's it. Without further ado... Adieu, 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 and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. Um, my guest for episode 81 of the Keith Walsh podcast is the brilliant singer, songwriter, performer, Anya Cahill from Cavan. Uh, let me just see what it says here about Anya. Anya Cahill is a pop singer, songwriter from County Cavan, Ireland. She spent her her childhood heavily involved with her local GA club, Bally Hayes, then discovered her love of music at the age of 16. Uh, which is kind of, I suppose, late for someone like Anya because she's quite... Uh, she she did very well. Um, she's inspired by current music, citing Lady Gaga, Lana Del Rey and Marina the Diamonds as her main influences, but combines that with her love of classic jazz from the 1950s. Cal's unique sound and writing style captivates the listener, her storytelling evoking emotion and vivid imagery, allowing the audience to escape into her world. Cal independently recorded her debut EP, Paper Crown, in Jam Studios in Kelson County Mead with Martin Quinn, producer. Uh, following Paper Crown, Cal released the single Black Dahlia, inspired by Elizabeth Short and American Horror Story. Uh, the song was nominated by Hot Press Magazine for Best Track, and uh, it got a lot of airplay. Ireland toured Ireland between September 2015 and June 2016, playing Vicar Street, Cork Opera House, etc. etc. Um, in June 2016, Cal made her debut at Glastonbury playing the Bread and Rolls stage, where she was spotted by the BBC and asked to play an acoustic performance live on their Glastonbury TV coverage. Huge. Reaction was overwhelming, with Anya Cal trending on Twitter. Following the Glastonbury success, she played three stunning sets at Electric Picnic. In December 2016, Anya followed fellow Irish musicians such as Coldline, Picture This and All Twins to play a solo 2 FM Christmas Ball in Dublin's 3 Arena. I was there. I introduced, who did I introduce on stage? I don't know, I think All Twins. Uh, good night though, good crowd. There she is, yeah, then she signed to Warner, I think she explains in the chat and yeah, find out how she got on after that. But uh we used to play her a lot uh, when I was on 2FM and uh, always really enjoyed playing her songs and um, I really enjoyed chatting to her. So I hope you do enjoy, hope you do enjoy listening. Ladies and gentlemen, it is episode 81 of the Keith Walsh podcast with Anya Cahill. Enjoy. I've had broadband issues here for a while, but hopefully it'll be okay. How's your, how's your broadband? Oh, it's usually grand. Like, I've been doing college and it seems to be all right. If I'm doing anything major on the computer, like, the whole thing will go slow, but not. I'm just over on Zoom. Like, it seems to be grand. We'll be grand. Uh, how are you getting on? Yeah, not too bad. Paddy's Day tomorrow. 
What are you doing for Paddy's Day? Probably nothing, to be honest. <laughs> so normally, <clears throat> we'll, just, we'll just get stuck in on you, will we? Yeah. Uh, normally you'd be gigging then on Paddy's Day, would that be, would you, or would that be a big, big gig time? Would you, would you normally get gigs in Paddy's Day? If you were doing some sort of a, like, a, like a fest, like Paddy's Day Festival or something, there's something on the telly tomorrow, like, with, I can't even remember what it's called but yeah like if you're doing little things like that when they put on little festivals or stuff or even I don't know if people would put on their own headline gigs but if you were getting just like some sort of a uh, Paddy's Day event maybe yeah like there's uh, I know the BBC her have uh, there's some Irish dancers who have made it big on TikTok and they're going to be featured on the BBC tomorrow oh uh, Carja isn't it is that who they are I think that's the name of them yeah because I think I follow their manager on Twitter um that's right the guy who does the drawings the drawings yeah exactly um and i know there's a thing on shane mcgowan is that tonight i think so yeah it's a great great bit of interest in ireland isn't it at the moment um which sure is, everyone's irish on paddy's day everyone's irish on paddy's day of course yeah. and i think i think rt are trying to do like paddy's day on the telly so there's a yeah so. i know like denise denise chala and uh, Kojak and some others are doing a performance and Jesse Reyes I got sent a box in the post the other, or yesterday yeah with burgers and Jemison to make burgers on Paddy's Day but I already made them I ate them all oh look you've ah, come were, on. you're supposed to wait I couldn't not a, there was meat in the box <laughs> the meat was sent in the box I was like <laughs> there's, the freezers are small here in Cavan <laughs> and what about the whiskey Oh, I, I, that's not opened yet. I, yes. I'm a whiskey drinker anyway. I would like when I first started drinking when I was younger. My drink was whiskey, Jemison and uh, uh, Seven Up. That's what I used to drink. And then I was mad on the whiskey sours. And now I've kind of gone off drinking altogether. I kind of for the last year haven't been drinking much, only for Christmas and if it was someone's birthday or something. That's about it. But Paddy's Day is kind of an exception, isn't it? Well, I mean, it's not a bad day to have a drink if you're going to have a drink. I haven't had a drink now in over a year. Well, I don't miss it. I'm telling you now, I don't miss it at all. It, it's not as if I was ever, like, mad on it all the time. But it just it's something that's so standard in our culture. Like, it, I think there's nearly a stigma when you don't drink. I think so. Like, I definitely i am glad that I went through lockdown without drinking. I don't think it would have been a good idea to to drink through lockdown. No, and I'd say it was tough for people just sitting at home not knowing what to do and they probably ended up did drinking a lot of the time. There's nothing else to do, you see. Totally. I would have been. If I had no, like, you know, working from home, a.k.a. on holidays, Yeah, I'd, I'd have been drinking every day. I think it's sure I have nothing to get up for tomorrow because kids aren't even in school. It'd be grand. And I would have been a, a wreck, an emotional wreck, crying, watching Carnation Street every day. You know? Did you did you turn into a, a, a fitzbo during yeah. the lockdown? No, not really, because I, I I took on another addiction because, you know, <laughs> uh, you don't you don't just like there's, all, you know, if you get rid of one addiction, there's another one. Yeah. Uh, so I got rid of knocked the booze on the head and now I can't stop eating chocolate. Oh, stop. I I went on a mad like eating buzz. I was like watching my calories and I was doing running and I, I do kickboxing as well. And the first lockdown. Like the very first lockdown, I was like, right, I'm getting myself back in order now after the Christmas or whatever. This was March, like last year. My excuse was, 
I put weight on over Christmas. Anyway, I went the first lockdown. I went like every day I was running. I was going into the gym twice a day. We, we have like a boxing bag hanging in the garage, that kind of gym with a few weights. So I was doing that every day. And then as soon as the second one hit, I was like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> I think that was... I think that's everyone. You go yeah. through phases. I'm back. I'm back in my little uh, my fitness phase now, but not as much as I was. It's just kind of getting out for a walk more than anything else. I think that's the main thing: getting out of the house. I started. Uh, Brezzy is doing this marathon mind. Uh, he's trying to get people to, you know, people to run marathons. So he's put up the training schedule and uh, fitness stuff and you know stretches and workouts and things to think about and mental health this stuff and the whole the whole 360 degree workout thing so i've started uh, i was due to do four kilometers which i still have to do today so i'll have to do that later now in a little while um and we're building up so last week the longest run was five kilometers and then by next sunday we'll be on nine kilometers and then every week you sort of build it up and build it up and build it up till you're till you've done a marathon so that's where I'm at at the moment. So I just need, I always need a thing, a goal or a plan or something, you know. You need something to set your eyes on and then you just work towards it kind and of. Then just go. So listen, what's your, um? let's just stick to the, the, the chocolate stuff then. What's your, what's your snack of choice then? My snack of ch- crunchies. Crunchies? If we're talking chocolate, I love crunchies. Or someone has a box of Maltesers down there. I was eating at some of them today, picking at them. Um. Crunch, uh, I think um, Maltesers and crisps together. I've never tried that. And I know people do it with uh, cinema popcorn. They put the Maltesers in it or even M&Ms or something. I've never tried that. Yeah, Maltesers and cinema popcorn, yeah. But I used to say when I was younger that I didn't like um, chocolate peanuts, you know, the chocolate-covered peanuts. Yeah. And the two things that I used to eat all the time when I was like around 12 or whatever was peanuts and chocolate. Like Those were my favourite things. But, but didn't... I didn't like chocolate peanuts and <laughs> all, like, I have older sisters and the juice just gave me an awful stick over it. You love peanuts and love chocolate, but never together. Never. Never just, together. It doesn't, doesn't make sense to cross paths. Like, what's, your, uh, what's your comfort food? What's your go-to comfort food? Like, uh, if... Just pasta or big dirty bowl of spaghetti bolognese. Like we, we call it, I, I'm from, I'm from Casatara in Cavan and the village I used to play football for Bally Hayes and when we come home from school like primary school my dad would be like I have a big plate of spaghetti Bally Hayes for you <laughs> so it's known as spaghetti Bally Hayes in this house and uh, do you do takeaways in your house I'm not mad on them like my the rest of them would eat like a Chinese that's their kind of thing uh like just a standard Chinese food but I'm not really mad at them. If I was, say if it was after a night out, you know when you get food after a night out? Mm. Uh, there's a place called Ali Kebabish here and it's right beside the only nightclub in Cavan. And I would always go and get, and I, I'd never eat it. I'd never eat half of it. I'd never finish it. But it was just like a ritual to go in and get a cheeseburger with a kebab with garlic sauce on it and nothing else. But I'd never finish it. That was just a ritual. And where, what was the name of the nightclub? It's the, that's the Imperial. Oh, the Imperial, yeah, yeah. I think there's actually, I'm not sure if the other one is, is a nightclub or if it's just kind of like a late bar. A late bar, yeah. That opened up somewhere in the last like two years, but it's not really getting a good run with COVID. Like. Yeah, the Imperial where they used to do uh, Cavan's Got Cavan's Talent, Talent yeah. where I was the judge. I was the Simon Cowell of Cavan's Got Talent. Those what are... was that like, can I just ask? Was it weird? Being the judge? or Yeah, just... I had to judge one school 
talent competition one time. This is like seven, eight years ago. I just felt so bad. Um, yeah, it was, it was like, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's weird because like, I was kind of thinking, oh, this, I'll just be the comedy character and just be like, you know, that's, yeah. ter- that's terrible, you know, but <laughs> unless it was, unless it was like kids or, you know, but I tried to be, I, I used to try to be, um, uh, constructive a little bit, you know, but, but my job was to be the Simon Cowell. So I'd have to be, you know, kind of, cause the two, so Paul was, there was a guy called Paul Cox. He was the other yeah. uh, judge. And then I think it was uh, Louise O'Reilly, I think. And yeah. Yeah. Louise. They were really, they were always really nice. And, you know, they always said nice things. So I was left in the middle going, don't give up the day job, you know, <laughs> but were I you get, were you told to do that? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that wow. Was, okay. Like I didn't because like, it's not that I didn't care, but it was like there were like anybody that was there was there to, you know, win a prize or because they were into music or they were enjoying themselves or whatever. And and personally, I'd be sitting if I was in the crowd, I'd just be sitting there going, good on you, fair play to you, you know, do whatever you want to do. But when you're the judge, then you have to kind of be like, you have to be more strict or more like critical. Well, it's a show. Yeah. It's like, if you watch it on the telly, it's, 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 you have to have the big bad wolf. You have to have the, the, you know, the, it's a show it's not it's not really anything to do with if there I was, has like there has to be ups and downs kind of you have to have drama and like yeah. what I used to always try and do is like if I was hard on somebody then like just like you know over, over the rounds I maybe I'd be hard on somebody but then like every week I'd, I'd pick I'd pick one week to to you be know, nice so, to someone yeah well, but if somebody really improved I'd be like that was amazing do you know what I mean so you'd like you'd have to balance it you know but it gives more credibility then to your opinion because you're being honest, you know. Yeah, but for the crowd, like, because people would pay in or people would, you know, you'd have to, you voted for your favourite artist by by spending a euro or whatever. That was it. Like, it was a euro of votes. So you could, you could throw in 20 euro and have 20 votes. So, like, I always felt like if we just sat there and we were just like, oh, that was really good. Well done. Like, the audience would be like, that wasn't really good. You can't just say that for everybody, you know. And so you have to, you feel the pressure, to be honest. And it was hard sometimes. And you would get people getting annoyed with you, you know. But Have you ever done any, like, talent show like that or anything, even in school? Um, like, I've always kind of, like, I played guitar and I was in a band uh, for a little while and sang. I was sort of a solo artist, did a few gigs on my own. And I would have been in musicals and done a bit of acting. So I've always kind of done that type of thing and I don't know how I'd cope if I was on stage doing a talent show and there was a judge up there saying I was terrible I'd probably cry oh it'd be heartbreaking I I did I was there was something I can't remember the name of it but it was something similar it was just singing it wasn't full talent show I think it was just singing and it was around a few country or counties in Ireland and I did it with a neighbor of mine he played guitar and we won the Calvin bit and we had to go to the next bit but they never it wasn't one of the talent shows that the judges would talk to you. You'd just go up and perform and then everyone performed and you didn't hear any feedback until the end. Like no one would speak and judge on it. That was um, a thing run by Smithix, wasn't it? It was like, uh, it was your local, ta- like every pub. Oh, it wasn't something that big. It was something completely like just oh, random, it? random people setting it up. Yeah, I don't think it was I in remember, conjunction with anyone. 
I remember judging one for Smithix, and then I was the I was the MC then for the final, and it basically they'd gotten people from they, they had county winners, they had Leinster winners, they had Munster winners, and then they had this big final. But yeah, the old talent shows are not as big these days. But sure, look, it's not like we're going anywhere anyway. Can you on you take me back? Take mm-hmm. me back to the start. Where did you? What kind of music were you brought up listening to, and where did you kind of get into music? When did you realize that it was something that you wanted to do? Well, when I when I was really really young, I was a tomboy and I played every sport that I could play that was offered in like the village that I grew up in. So is, I, so in so that was just Gaelic football then because there's no that other was sport there's in Gaelic there's I played camogie I played Gaelic for the boys team and the girls team I played camogie yeah indoor and outdoor camogie and then we had rounders and I played soccer for the boys team as well. And I did all of that. I did athletics too. I think that was most of it. I did uh, Taekwondo. I did whatever is was on basically. And then when I was 15 or 16 is when I really started. Do you know, you listen to music, but you don't really listen to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But when I was 15 and 16 is when I actually started taking a real interest in it. So I ignore or gave up kind of on the sports. Although I I played underage for like cabin the cabin team at one stage. Did you for you played, I did. You played did. county on you. Oh, I I, I wasn't a county player yet, for but only for only for like three years. Only for three years. That's yeah, but it's thing. it's different underage. It's not the same. Well, but um, I know how yeah. difficult it is to 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 make the county team in whatever age you know. So that's quite it's quite an achievement. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Don't be. <laughs> But uh, but uh, yeah, then I was like 15, 16 and I kind of stopped playing. There was no uh, there was no team. There was no girls football team for my club around that age. So mm. I would have had to play with the seniors and trying four foot nothing. I would have been trampled on, you know. So I just I gave it up and I really took an interest in music. I started learning all my favorite songs. I loved Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga was the first artist that I properly listened to. And I know that's kind of crazy because she seems to be very out there, but I more was interested in when she would sit down and just sing on the piano. That was my favorite thing that she did. So I wanted to play the piano. Uh, and then there was Marina and the Diamonds. She just goes by Marina now. Her songwriting and then Lana Del Rey, all their songwriting. So this was like 2010 or 11, around that time. So that's when I started writing songs. Oh no, it would have been 2012. I started writing songs, so I was in Leaving Cert. As soon as I left, as soon as I left secondary school that summer, I started writing all these songs, and then I just started doing little gigs around Calvin, and that's where it took off from there. That's quite, it's uh, quite a turnaround, isn't it? Like you, you kind of got into it late, then kind of quickly started writing songs. Like, did you had you did you get piano lessons or? No, I just just from YouTube. I would just YouTube tutorials on say ones I think one of the first ones I learned was Poker Face by Lady Gaga but the way she used to play it on the piano uh that was the first one I used to just I I could never sing and it's kind of mad looking back I feel like I just woke up when I could sing one day but when I was in in first year I tried out for the choir and the teacher told me no I didn't get it but I feel like I don't really have a choir voice I have a different different kind of voice but yeah I, I couldn't sing at the time I didn't think I just did it for the crack. Like a few of the girls was trying it, so I did it. Like I never really had, 
I never really had the thought in my head oh, that I was going to be a singer. And I think there's, for young kids, if somebody tries to do something, that people kind of t- tear them down. Like when I did start doing piano and stuff, you don't know Faroga, do you? Have you heard of Faroga? Yeah, I've heard of Faroga, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was I was a big member of our Faroga club, like, and we would have done talent competitions with them, making up dances, all this shite, for, for, for like all Ireland talent shows and stuff. And I would bring my piano down when I was just learning. So it was kind of bad, but still you'd feel like people were kind of ripping the piss out of you nearly because you were trying to do something different. Cause it's not the done thing, especially not out in the middle of nowhere, like Calvin, where nobody really does anything other than what the norm is, which is, well, that was then it's different now. Yeah. But it, it's more like sports. Like when you're in the middle of nowhere, like not the middle of nowhere, what would you call it? Rural areas. Mm. The big thing people do is sports and that what, that's what gets you respect or whatever. What would you call it? Yeah. Respect, I suppose. Uh... Yeah. But, but it's because you're doing something different and it's yeah. easier for some people to deal with the awkwardness of that by just, you know, dismissing Shrugging it. it off or just yeah. laughing at it or whatever. But yeah. And that's what? mostly their own awkwardness rather than whatever you're doing. Do you know what I mean? They're just, they're just dealing with, they're, you know, as as your parents probably tell you, you know, parents always say, no, I don't mind them, they're just jealous. Oh, yeah, that's that's the done thing. That's the done thing to say. But, but yeah, that that was I was would have been sixteen when I was learning to play the piano, doing all that. I was like sixteen. Wow! And uh, so anyway, you didn't because I when I would have heard you singing first, uh, I remember thinking these this is like you have like a a blues voice, you know, like you have an old soul blues. Like it's as if Amy Winehouse came to Cavan and you know I'm possessed by Amy met a local <laughs> lad you know you know what I mean yeah, yeah. and uh, so what like so that where did that did that just maybe she came to you in the night and gave it to you maybe she did I, who knows I don't know where it comes from to be honest but when I was like just for the first like two or three years I I used to watch old Marilyn Monroe movies and I used to sing some of the songs that she would sing in them just the way they were all musicals yeah. so maybe that's where I get some of the little flair of it or something I do I do love jazz like I listen to jazz and Lady Gaga it would have been how I got into jazz because she sometimes sings jazz as well so it kind of opened me up to listen to it because I wouldn't when you when you're 16 who's going to listen to jazz realistically yeah do you know well you're not going to hear it on the local radio no not a hope so and and now three jazz hits in a row (laughs) But yeah, but Lady Gaga, she's that's her sort of like she's very experimental, isn't? I mean, she, we we everybody knows her for her pop stuff, but she's she's everything. She's jazz. She's musical. She's you know she, she's a uh, she's well trained everywhere, basically. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she's she's a good person to sort of model yourself on, and uh, especially with the vocals. And when did so you started gigging around Cavan, doing a few bits? Yeah. Uh, were you gigging on your own? Were you like what? what for what for a few gigs, like, it was just me and the piano. And in fairness, I know enough in the piano to write songs with like chords and stuff. But mm. I'm not great. If you were to sit and listen to an hour of me playing the piano, you'd bang your head off the table. <laughs> that kind of way. So I don't know how I managed to do it. it. Must have been a year of me playing the piano with my five songs that I had wrote at the time, doing little support slots around the place I supported Brendan McCahey who won the vice yeah yeah I supported the Henry girls 
in the spirit store. I did all these spot like supports. Duke special. I went up. Wow. I traveled up to Belfast for some. It was like a, a. I don't know what you would call it, like a, a talk. What are those called? What would you call them? Like a, a presentation or presentation. whatever. Yeah, yeah. And he was talking about songwriting, and I drove like for two hours to sing two songs. Like that's the type of stuff I was doing for like a year or two, and then I started playing with a band of some people from Calvin. And Paul Cox, who was, uh, who you mentioned earlier, he was yeah. like kind of like my manager, but he played the drums as well. And then my 21st birthday, I got on Today FM to sing a live version of Black Dahlia. And then I started kind of getting played on the radio a bit. Wow. It was Ian Dempsey that time. And he obviously heard that song Black Dahlia and said, come in and do it live for the breakfast show. Yeah, that was it. Wow. But I think I I always thought the only reason why he got me on was it was because my birthday. But my birthday was actually a few days before I was on. <laughs> I don't so, think. <laughs> so we lied. We lied while I was on as if I think there's a video still of me on the show be, and him being like, oh, it's your birthday. And I was like, yeah, I'm 21. I was 21 like five days before. It. And <laughs> I had rang in sick to work to go and do it. My manager was raging with me. I was, they got, I got in so much trouble. I used to work in a, a restaurant hotel. I hope, yeah, a restaurant of a hotel in Calvin. And I remember her being like, you can't be sick and being on the radio. She's the dub. She was like, you can't be, how, you're ringing in sick here and then you're going up on the radio. <laughs> it's a bit, you're going to get caught. Yeah, a bit hard to not get caught. That's gas. I like the way that she wasn't like, she didn't say it I all. know she she always she tried her best to like give me time off if I needed it and stuff. She was probably worried about her bosses. You know. I'd say it was more some of the staff than anyone else. I don't think the bosses would even care because you can always get someone else in. It's more because yeah. when I when I worked there and someone rang in sick and you saw them out, like I used to I used to work mornings mostly. And you'd have people ringing in sick. So I'd be finished like three and people would be ringing ringing in sick and I'd hear it before I went home. And you'd see them that night on a Sunday night out in the Imperial. And mm. I remember one of the days someone rang in and said they were in a car crash. Not a hope was she in a car crash at <laughs> all. She was in with a drink doing shots at the bar. I remember it. She looked like she was in a car crash on, oh, the, mo- on the morning, I'd say. Yeah. Um, but that's gas that she, that she rang in sick to go on, on Ian Dempsey. Like, did you not think... If you said I'm going to be on Ian Dempsey, they would have just given you the day off. Or no, what? they wouldn't. Not no. Just you're better off. But it was last minute. In fairness, it was. And Did I, you? this was it. In my head, I was like, I'm quitting this job in a few weeks. I am taking off. That was it in my head. I was like, I'm going to be on national radio. Game over. That's what I thought. I like the I, fact that you thought Ian, Ian Dempsey had you on his breakfast show just because it was your birthday. Yeah. No. I, that's what I thought. That's it. <laughs> yeah that that was like a, a little extra spice to have like a story behind it you know and they were like oh we'll have to get her on it is her birthday in fairness it was just something to say i think so then you're like i better pretend it is my birthday better not mess that up you're yeah. probably more, more nervous about that than singing the song exactly yeah what was the dry what like you seem to have like once you decided once you set your sights on the music like because 16 78 like 16 to 21 being on ian dempsey that's I know it doesn't seem like, but that's kind of quick. And like you're you're very driven to do all those to get up and play those two songs. 
for Duke Special or to, you know, to go to those little gigs. And th- there was a lot of drive there, like a lot of belief. I, I don't know where it comes from. Like getting, I never really thought that I could sing or anything like that until I sang one time in the concert hall in secondary school. And some of the girls was like, oh, my God. And that was the first time that I was like, actually, maybe I can sing. So then that's when I started writing songs and stuff. But I never in my life thought that anyone would hear it or I'd ever be singing for anyone or making music or anything like that. I just loved making music. And I really only started writing songs because I'm the type of person that keeps things to myself or I don't know how to say things to people I'd rather I don't know how to say it, you know. I find it awkward to talk to people about certain things. So I would just write about them. And half the time the songs have no words that correlate with what I'm feeling at all. But I'm when I'm writing them, I'm thinking about what I'm feeling in my head. Okay. And that's how they come they comes out. And I think the songs when I first wrote, they were just something about them. And they just took off. I don't know. I don't it's, know. Yeah, it was like it's almost like I mean, some people who write songs describe it as like songs just arrive at, yeah. to them, you know, or, you know, they, they, they kind of have no control over it. It's just like they have to do it. Yeah. And like, if I compare when I was writing, when I first started writing compared to when I started writing, like doing co-writes just for the sake of writing songs uh, later, like a few years ago, the difference is crazy. Like I could sit like Black Dale or not Black Dale, you would say plastic. Mm. I wrote plastic at like three o'clock in the morning after scribbling. I drew like a, a puppet on a book and then I wrote plastic after it in about an hour or an hour and a half. And it just happened straight away. And I felt like I didn't really have to think about it. Just everything made sense and it was all working and happening straight away. Whereas I'd go into some co-writing sessions because I'd never co-written before, but I'd sit in the room and it would feel like such hard work to try and get one line or we were missing two lines and it would take two hours to get it. And I think that's the difference. I think when songs are supposed to happen, they just really happen and they work. And when you're trying to push them out mm. and and it's taken so, so much effort that it doesn't make sense in the end or something. I don't know. So what about the song plastic then sort of describe what you were thinking or what, like what the themes or. There's literally a line in plastic that I robbed from mean girls. Well, it's not robbed, but like you're plastic, cold, shiny, hard plastic. That's from, from mean girls. And that, that was the line that inspired the whole song, but it is, it's just about fake people in general or people yeah fake people and I actually was talking to someone on Twitter the other day and they're like with all that's going on I just saw or I just went back through your songs and went to plastic and it rings true now more than ever and I was like the song ages like a fine wine and it does it certainly does it's a, it's a it's like it's funny because like Black Daly and Plastic like those songs when when we played them on the radio, they always sort of seemed like classics. You, you know, they they had like a an. That's because they they didn't follow the trend of what was on the radio or anything like that. They were just kind of their own thing. Yeah, but they also had, like yeah, totally. They definitely stood out, but they had that like I don't know, like um, like an old song. Like it sounded like an old song. Like you just you just had such a 
an individual sound and even what you're writing about. Um, uh, it just, yeah, as you say, like, the, you know, they age straight away, you know, and so it's a, so it doesn't fit into any genre. So it doesn't age badly because you're not going, you know, the way you listen to songs now and you go, oh, that's from 2010. You know, I yeah. can do it. Like you hear a song like Kesha TikTok and you're like, that's 2010 straight yeah. away. What's that song by 303? Uh, oh, I can't think of it now. Um, that's it was, all that era, like 2010, 2009. Oh. Metro Station, is that the one I'm thinking of? Uh, oh, there's, there's, but there's certain songs you just go, yeah, I know what year that is. I know what year that is. And, and I can hear it sometimes when when people bring new songs out. I'm like, because there was a time there where they're like, what's the hook? Let's start the song with the hook. And then we're repeating the song. We're, we're repeating the hook in the chorus. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I feel if you like, this is what I think, right? There is the major label artists that are massive. And I feel like a lot of the time what's played on the radio, all the genres sound the exact same, right? So all the, it's nearly like the music is being tailor-made to just get on the radio. And it is, like I know it is. Being tailor-made to just get on the radio and fit into whatever song is after being a hit, totally. right? Yeah. So that's all the like major label, like highest artists that's earning the most money. And then you have artists that are like not as popular or pay- people trying to break in. And we're expected to to get radio play. We have to kind of sound sim- either similar to that or just, yeah, just similar to that to get even in the hopes of getting on. Is that, am I crazy? I don't no, know. Because right, they're always looking for the sound. What's the, what's the sound yeah. of the day? And you need to do a little bit of that. And that's where I'm saying, like, there was, a, there was a craze there for, like, the hook right at the start of the song. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I know what era that is. And then... But the, different, the difference is the, them big artists, they have the money and the machine behind them to be able to just record new music as the sound is changing and as the sound, as a new song comes out, they can have a new song out within a month. Whereas for independent artists and like up and coming artists, they don't have the money to do that. When I first started, I was working in the hotel and I would save up my money and then do like one week in the studio here and there. And that's how I was doing it. I was working with uh, Martin Quinn and Jam Studios in Kells. And it would be like once in a blue moon, I'd have my money saved up, I'd go to him and we'll do a studio session and get it done. It was. It's not easy when you're like, when you don't have the back and behind you. That's the only, in my opinion, one of the only good things about major labels is that just they can throw money at things now. But you had complete control over, like if you were going in there for a couple of days, you 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 were bringing what you had created into the studio. It wasn't like no one was telling you, oh, you need this, you know, Gaga's hit big at the moment. You may, well, I want this to sound like a Gaga song. No, but you see, I would have, I wouldn't be going into the studio with people. I would write the song the lyrics and the melody and I'd have like the basic chords and the whole structure of the song. I would have that done. So it wasn't a case of going in and being told what the song should be. Do you know what I mean? Or like that, like when I started co-writing and when I was signed to the major label, that would, that was where my issue was. Cause I was going in with kind of notions on how, how the label wanted me to sound and what type of song they wanted me to write. Like for the last, I'd say a full, a solid year, it was, we need an upbeat song. When have I ever done an upbeat song? I just felt like 
calling them up and being like, have you, do you even know what type of music I've ever done in my life? It, would, it felt like they just, at that time, it was like, we want, a, we want a fast song. It's like, I've never done a really, really upbeat song. It's just not what I do. So I felt like I was trying my best to give them what they wanted, but I just couldn't. My song or my voice is so, it doesn't suit like big, quick paced bangers at all. Yeah, but also, but also, you're not going to write a fast song if someone is standing over you going, write a fast song, write a fast no. song. You know, that's not, it's, it, it's got to be organic. Like, you know, ideally, they should have just set you up and, you know, you know. I, I don't know how people do it. I know, I know, because the co- co-writers that I work with, they just go in, no matter who it is. It doesn't probably, doesn't even matter who they're in with. They can just write a song. I can't do that. I have to, I, like this is the way I am. If I have nothing to say or nothing that I really, really want to write about, I can't do it because mm. I don't care enough. I don't know if that makes sense. It's not that I don't care about music or anything. It's just I don't care about what I'm saying enough to write it down and sing it. Do you think that your next album is going to come from your experience of... I have to write an album first. I haven't had a full album yet. I actually have to write one. I have, I've written loads of songs. It's just not a full body of work in an album, you know. Do, do you think your album, when, when it comes out, <laughs> your next bunch of songs, mm. do you think they're going to be inspired by your experience with the record label? Do you think that's the stuff you need to get off your chest now? Probably. I actually, I have a few songs. I would say two of them is written. written. Not, it wouldn't be about their label. It's just about how I felt. And I think... That's one thing that I've learned now that I'm a bit older is it's not anyone's fault or you can't just blame someone. It, it, like people look at situations differently. But I I wrote, wrote at least two songs about my perspective on it from how I was feeling. Rather, like I'm not blaming anyone. I feel yeah, like a lot of my other songs were like blamey songs. And that is just me being young. Like 18, 19, I wrote Black Dahlia and Classic and all them. Like that was just me being young, blaming people, not wanting to take blame on myself. But these ones is more, there's just not, it's not as like pointed, but it is about them at the same time. Yeah, it's about how you were feeling, you know, or yeah. how you feel now or how you feel the experience was or how you felt you were, you know, you were treated. And that's not, you know, that's not pointing the finger. That's just the fact, you know, the, the way you were so tell me about so Ian Dempsey at the age of 21 on your birthday Ian had you on because it was your birthday <laughs> so nice yeah. so nice of him. and uh, lovely birthday present thanks Ian did things kind of take off for you then was it was it was it a sudden when I say sudden because you'd been four years five years but like did things step up a gear then since I would then? say it would only had been two years Wow. Because 18 or 16, I was, I didn't post a song. I didn't write a song. I wrote songs when I was 18. And I think it was 2013. So whatever age I was then, I was 18 going 19. That's when I posted a song on on uh, YouTube. I posted White Piano and it got like 2,000 views in a week. And I was like, game over. I was like, <laughs> oh my God. Here we go. This is sick. But uh Yeah. So Ian Dempsey, 21. So, I got... So, so, so two years, really. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I got some... I was able to get, like, headline gigs, but nobody knew who I was. I did a class gig in the upstairs in Whelan's not long after the first Ian Dempsey. I think it was September, and my birthday's in August. 
So it was like three or four weeks. We just put the gig on after Ian Dempsey because there was a good reaction and that sold out. But then after that, I think I, I wasn't like, I wasn't like selling out anything else. Do you know what I mean? It yeah. was like doing gigs to like 50 people or even less, you know? And that was for another, so that was 2014, I think. The year after that is when I did Glastonbury. So I was just doing random gigs and some little festivals around Ireland up until then. And How? this would this would have been like, I'd get a call the night before from like Paul, and or not the night before, we'd say the week before, and being like, all right, Saturday, we're going to Cork. And we're going down, we have to drive down six hours and we're doing a gig and we're driving back up six hours. And I'd just be like, yeah, this is what it's supposed to be like. This is it. And that's what, that's what I did for like two years, just like random spot gigs around. Yeah, but you were doing, you were serving your time. You were being, you were, you were a working gig and musician. Uh, that's Paul. Oh, I Co- was still working. I, I was working in the Radis- or sorry, excuse me, I'll not mention the name. You were mentioned somewhere. You were working yeah. somewhere. Um, yeah. So Paul Cox, who was I, the band, the Stripes were kind of just a little bit before you. I think he, mm-hmm. the uncle of one of the lads in the Stripes, and would be a legendary musician, drummer in the area. Oh yeah, he'd be well known. Sure, he was in the band C60 or whatever. I think is the name of the biggest one he was in. Yeah. Um, and he, so he was, cause I remember I would, I'd followed him. So I'm a friend of his and I'd, I'd see his stuff on Facebook and he kind of took a load of pictures the year you went to Glastonbury. How did the Glastonbury booking come about? That year, 2016, like Paul was like the booker, the manager, he was like doing everything and the drummer. Like he yeah. was just sending out things to everyone. And that year, was the first year I did a gig in London and that was in the Dublin Castle in Camden. And we, I think we did a few more gigs after that going over so that these bookers of the stage would see would see us. Like obviously they need to see us play live or whatever. Oh, so they were, so you were kind of playing for the people that booked the acts for that particular stage in Glasgow. Yeah, but our, our stage, it was like a, the stage that your man from the BBC saw me, Mark, I can't think of a second name, Mark, the music supervisor, like the head of music of the BBC, he came to see us play in like a little pub that had a music stage on it in Glastonbury. That's where he saw us. And then he gave us the slot on the BBC. So basically they'd set up in Glastonbury, they'd built a pub. Oh yeah. Like, do you know, like at EP when there's like, we'll say, uh, Orchard Thieves have their own little boot. Yeah. Don't they? Like that kind of thing. Like all around, Glastonbury is like a little vi- village. Yeah. And this one tent, it, it was like just for a pub, Bread and Roses is what it was called. And they could book acts to play in their pub. And that's where we were playing. We went over to Glastonbury literally the day that the, the site opened for anyone to go in. So not like artists, but anyone. And we stayed there. I had a van with me, my big head literally sitting on the back of it. And we, me and my piano player, Louise, we slept in the boot of the van on a mattress. And Paul slept in the front seat of the van or the back seats of the van in a mattress. And we stayed there for a week, (laughs) a full seven days. We arrived, we left Cavan on the Sunday or what, yeah, the Sunday morning or the Monday morning. 
and we drove. Do you know you get the ferry to Wales and the drive is shocking to go anywhere from there. Like we were going, it took us hours basically to get to Gastonbury. And we camped the van in the, it was like the production end for this food tent. They had their own little section of the camping. And ours, our van was parked there for a week. And we thought, like my set was on the Friday. We got the, the email that I was going to be on BBC. And we were told, first of all, that it was going to be on the Saturday. So we were waiting. We were walking around Glastonbury with our heads up our arses, waiting for an email to, for a time for us to go up. And the Saturday was the day Adele was playing. And something happened. I think it was, uh, it was, it was the Brexit vote. The Brexit vote happened and we were pushed on to the Sunday. So we would have been, I think we would have went home earlier if the day wasn't pushed, but we were there for a full seven days. The head on me on the BBC with no real showers, like all we had was wipes. I can't remember. Did we have showers? I'm not sure. Like weird, I don't think so. Like shocking. And I'd say the clothes, like thinking back now, I'd say the clothes that I had were absolutely covered in shite. Like the wellies, I think I was wearing wellies on the telly. Like like it's bad enough uh, it, if you stay for a few, a couple of days or three days at a festival. You, uh, can't, you, you can't find an item of clean clothes. It doesn't matter what you no. bring, you know. So The only thing that stood to us was that we were sleeping in the back of the van. That's the only thing that stood to us at all. If we had been in a tent, I'd say we would have been dead. I'd say we wouldn't have got out of there at all. But to be asked, so you played your gig and then you got an email saying, oh, the BBC wants you because because the BBC do their live. And I, I actually watched it because I, I, I enjoy watching Glastonbury. You know, you stay up, you have a few beers, you feel like you're there and mm. they do those live bits. And they've got this little sort of little live lounge area and, you know, with a little setup. And uh, you got to play that. And like, that must have been bonkers. Like, of of. Because I I didn't realize how big of a deal it was. Honestly, okay. I just was like, yeah, it's just I know like just going on telly, just going to sing Black Daily again because I'd been singing it for like two years at this point, no, a year. But uh, I didn't I didn't realize how big it was. And then the amount of like articles from the thing things like Love in Dublin and things like that that there was up. I was not expecting it, and it was just Irish girl on BBC coverage, and it was. <laughs> I had just cut my hair and my hair used to be so long and I cut it short, but because it's curly, it looks even shorter and it looks like I look like fucking naughty or something. And I just remember the same shot screenshot was being used on every article. I remember thinking, Jesus Christ. It just, I have the image of the articles in my head and it's just that image of me with, I was wearing a gray weird shirt thing and my hair was like, just triangle head. That's what I remember. <laughs> you could have started a new a new trend. Yeah, I should Tri- triangle head. Triangle head. Haircut. Um, and did you did any of that? Did that kind of hit you when you got? Was it, I think it might have been Mark Cooper was might have been the head of Mark Cooper. That was him. Yeah, the yeah. Head of music. Um, the head of music at the BBC. Were was it just when you got home that you realised what a big deal it was, or or was were you getting people no. getting in touch with you while you were there? Yeah, it was just people getting in touch or even I think I gained a good, not thousands and thousands of followers, but a good amount compared to, no offence to the Irish TV, but when you do Irish TV, no one cares. 
Mm. Not really. Like if you get lit, lit, yeah, people kind of care that you're honest, but they probably wouldn't watch you. I'm talking about people that you know. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, oh, congrats, you're on the late late. Jesus on your cows on the late late, but nobody watches it, you know. And you don't you don't get much of a reaction really. Well, I, I didn't anyway at the time I did it compared to Glastonbury, obviously because they get more views. But like this, I thought it was just gonna be standard like yoke of a thing. And then the reaction did, it blew me away, but sure, I hadn't a clue what it was going to be like. Things are hit and miss. Like you can do one thing and you can get loads of, loads of positive reaction and you can do something and nobody care. Like, but that's just the way it is. So I don't have much expectations. I didn't anyway. Um, and what happened then subsequently was there was, was there interest then from like, did you get, bigger gigs would you get bigger bookings? oh yeah i would have got get... bigger gigs like festival bookings and uh, like i had nothing up till then i got an agent i got a, a manager his name was neil uh he like he emailed me out of the blue and he worked with like david bowie and the spice girls and all this shite and that i crapped myself i was shook over it uh, he he got in touch and then he started like because he he'd be well known in like the music industry in the uk and he started sending some of my songs to people and then i there was loads of uh like label labely interest and then for a year after that i was doing like festivals and then plastic came out that the january after that like all this stuff stuff was happening and i signed i signed to uh like a indie label called lab records that is based in manchester and that i released plastic with them and blood diamonds and then november 2017 i signed to warner wow yeah do you wish what was it like with lab oh it was grand it was like they had no real opinion on well not opinion but like they didn't try to change anything or like inter excuse me, I'm burping here. What the hell? It's I had okay. one of them I had one of them burgers like two hours ago and it's like all burping. But um they had no like it to just leave you to yourself. Like that's one difference that I will say about indies and majors. And even some of the people that were working at the major labels was like, we should not be interfering with what you're doing. We should just let you do what you're doing. But yeah, so with the uh lab it was just the songs like i would do them on my own and present them to them and then they'd give they paid for the music video that kind of way that's what we did but i found out later on that um the lab records was it's kind of like associated with warner i didn't know that at the time oh so they were kind of like a branch of warner or a it's it's not even a branch like they're not under the umbrella but i think they get fun from it but i'm not sure okay it might be different now do you wish in re- looking back on it now that you just stayed with Lab and kept doing what you were doing? Or I suppose it's, it's very hard to, it's make, hard to, to know. say that, yeah. I think I just, I couldn't have said no. You know, I had to do it. And who would have known what the outcome would have been? Yeah. It went one of two ways and it went the other, do you know? But my goal when I was leaving Loretto, that's the secondary school I went to, when I was leaving secondary school, it was, I wanted to get signed to a major label. And at that time, I didn't know there was any other way to do anything. I thought that's what you were supposed to do. 
you get so signed was, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that was my goal and I did it in fairness I achieved my goals at the time so if I didn't do it I'd say I'd be sitting here talking to you thinking Jesus things would be different if I had have signed the big record deal or whatever you know yeah I don't but- I don't dwell on it like and if I sit and dwell on it I would probably get annoyed about it but I can't you know you, I, I I made the decision. It's not as if someone told me to do it. No, of course not. Of course. Do you feel that the um, what for whatever reason we're not going to point the finger of blame no, or blame no, no. anybody, but do you think that w- for whatever reason the setup and the the way it was you you were handled or the things that were expected of you? Do you think that that kind of like that you ended up kind of falling out of love with what you were doing? I think. It's not what I expected it to be, but at the same time, I had no expectations. So I didn't really know what I was in for. And I think some people suit the way major labels run and some people don't. And I don't think I'm someone that does. I feel like I'm more of a write songs whenever I feel like it, which could be two a year, you know, Mm. and that's it. Whereas it was, give me a hundred songs and we'll pick the best few of them and we'll put them out. That's the way it was. And you were like, no, I pick, I write three brilliant ones, and then that's the way I I try to do, tried to do things beforehand. Like you're able to pick the best ones, whereas it was like, write a song, send it into the label the same day, and you get a note back if it's good or bad, or if they like it or not. Like I wrote a lot of good songs, and some songs I like more than others that are sitting on my laptop and will never be heard or. I can release them differently, but if I had the choice for some of the songs, it, they would be different. If you, if, if there's songs... What was the question? I veered off. You asked me a question and just I veered the, off. Did you fall out? Of, did, did that experience at that time for a while make you, did you fall out of love with? I would say so. Yeah. To be completely honest with you. Actually, in one of the songs that I wrote, I co-wrote it with uh, Richie McCourt. He's from Dublin. I think he's from Dublin anyway. He's a songwriter. I co-wrote it and it's the first time I co-wrote it in a long time. I did it on Zoom at the, uh, it, in November, I think it was. Yeah, November of last year. And it's called Stranger in My Body. And one of the lines in it is, you made me question every choice and now I hate the sound of my own voice. Mm. And that kind of sums it up. Like towards the end, of me being signed or whatever, I had a gig in London. And at this at this stage, I had built up so much anxiety about the whole thing because there was pressure. I was like, this next song that's coming out has to do well. I have to write really good songs. If this gig doesn't sell out, I'm going to get dropped. It was always like things in the back of my mind. And I felt like I couldn't perform really well. And I, I will say to anybody, that was there, that that was probably one of the worst gigs I ever done in my life. And I remember not, I felt like I wasn't even on the stage. I was just so nervous. And like, I felt like I couldn't sing properly. And I just remember I wanted to get off the stage so, so bad. It was the worst experience ever. And before this, I used to love standing on the stage and singing and just getting lost in the whole thing. And I, that's what I used to do. I used to just stand there and sing and get lost in it. But that gig, and it nearly has scared me from doing gigs. Like, it's terrifying. It 
that gig, I, I was thinking the whole time. I wasn't in the, in the moment with the song. Like, that's so cringy to say. But I wasn't, like, I wasn't deep in the song. I was thinking, oh, if this isn't, oh, I'm after that, oh, I'm after singing that wrong. Oh, this is all going wrong. This is all going wrong. That's literally what I was thinking. I was like, if this goes wrong, I'm gone. It's game over. And you had big, like, yeah, for some reason, they invited loads of, like, big people. You had Steve Mack was there. And when I found out he was there, I, I, that's when I got really nervous. Steve Mack was, he did all of, like, Ed Sheeran's The Shape of You, all that album. Do you know mm. Steve Mack? I've heard of him. Yeah. When I found out he was there, I was like, Jesus Christ. And that's when I really got nervous about the whole thing. But yeah, that gig literally makes made me terrified of performing live again. Now I have done, I did a wee live stream with Hot Press during lockdown last year. I think it was like June or one of them days or months. And it was grand, but it's different. It's different when you're just in your own house. Do you, are you worried about, you know, post lockdown, getting back on the road, gigging again? Is that something that's, you're thinking about or at all or worrying about i'm not thinking about it at the moment because i feel mm. like i just get nervous about the whole thing first of all i have to write new songs before i go anywhere because i've been singing all them songs that i wrote first off like my first we'll say first 10 batch songs are the songs that i have been singing for the last since i wrote them and they're the only songs mostly that i've been singing so I need, before I go anywhere, there's no point in me going around singing the same songs over and over again. What's the point? People wouldn't go. Like if some, if, if an artist was touring the same album for 10 years, would you bother your arse going to see it? I don't know. Yeah, but also on you have to remember, right? Yeah. That for your Irish audience, you kind of went to and signed with Warner and kind of disappeared. Like, yeah, I did. You 100%. weren't really on the radio and you weren't really gigging. Like, there's like you could totally just do a tour with those songs while you're getting like just to get yourself back into it i don't think anybody would have an issue with that because it's not you were never uh like we played you a, a lot on 2fm and but it, like as i said your songs never grew old like with ed it was just like oh for god's sake you know it was, just, <laughs> it was too much you know and even your songs they're as we said before they're classics like they're timeless you could totally do uh, gigs, gigs with your songs and then be throwing in the odd new ones. You know what I mean? Because that's like ultimately when people go to a gig, they're like, oh yeah, I know this one. Yeah, yeah, I know this one off the radio. And then you can just like, like this in my, this is me like talking shit off the top of my head. But I would be like to, to someone like you, like, why wouldn't you? That's like, they're your songs. Like they're great. I, I know. I just overthink things. Like I'd yeah. be just overthinking the whole thing. Like, realistically, what is stopping me from just doing a, a gig, even if it's just a support slot for someone for, like, 20 minutes? What is stopping me? Nothing. My own, like, me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I, exactly. I have a word with that on you, Cal. Give me her number and I'll ring her. I know, something needs to be done with that one. Someone needs to sort that one out. <laughs> She's stopping you from gigging. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I think you totally could. I think, And I think that the songs weren't overplayed. People because they're, they're sort of timeless, people would not be sick of them and they would just love to see it. And as I said, you did just kind of disappear for the year before lockdown. So it's not like anybody is in any way sick of seeing Anya Cal singing those songs. If anything, people would be delighted to see it. 
back out and about and singing again and singing and listening to those songs and hearing them again. You could totally just release that album, just call it on. Yeah, but they're also like the songs that I actually like that I wrote while I was signed. I I have the rights to them. Like I can just record them, record them my own way. Yeah, but that's but what I'm saying is, and you can just have them recorded, be recording them as you gig. Like there's there's definitely there's definitely no. do, Do you know what it is? Like there's no rules. Like yeah, but you see, I'm the person who's given myself rules, and yeah. I'm the person who's who's telling me that I can't do these things for no. Like I don't know why. I just got this thing in my head that oh, I can't do, and I can't, and I can't, and I can't. Rather than before this, I would never just think. I would just be like, yeah, yeah, I'll just do, yeah, yeah, just do anything, whatever. It's just weird. It's weird. It's funny because I was talking because um. The people listening to this podcast won't know that we had a chat on a on an app called Clubhouse, mm. uh, which was kind of a casual interview slash chat slash um, therapy session. Therapy session for, <laughs> but and uh, Kieran from Delorentos was was in the audience. We had a huge audience of seven seven people. Was, seven which people is, was which, the height of it at one point. That's good is, for Irish clubhouse in fairness. It is, yeah. Well it was also my fault because everybody was locked out at the start because I didn't really <laughs> I didn't do it properly. But but I, I talked to I interviewed Kieran separately another time about Delorentos and they've they came very close to splitting up. And in fact I think they did announce at one point that they had split up. And it was only when they split up they went they were like what the fuck are we doing splitting up? Like all we have to do is like what do we, all, all they had to do was have that conversation and go so th- so when they were on the verge of, I think it was Ronan or one of the lads was going to leave, and he's like, I've ha- I, I, I just don't want to do this anymore. And it was only at that point when they, f- when it looked like they were going to split up and not do it anymore, that they actually sat down and had that conversation, and they went, and they were able to go, I don't like doing this, I don't like doing that, I only want, you know, this is, there's no fun in this anymore. Where's the crack? And they went, Yeah, okay, well, let's just try and do it, but do it differently. Like, let's get rid of, you know, they had all these rules for themselves, which they, they then just went, look, fuck it, let's just try and have fun with this and do whatever and be a bit freer with it and stop with all these rules and regulations and let's just, and it totally like transformed the band and, and they're still, still going. Like, you know, apart from lockdown, they, they would be still going, you know? That's interesting. Like, and Brian, Brian, that was on the clubhouse yes. called, he said the same thing. He was like, if you're not having fun, don't do it. Like there's, what is the point? You do it for the enjoyment of it and the love of doing it. Like that's if that's not your motivation at the root of everything, what is the point? Yeah, that's that's how I feel anyway. But I think that you're uh, so the job now for you is just to find the fun and yeah, exactly. Yeah, start enjoying it again and get and you know, use the experience you have and build on the base you have, which is solid. You know, you have a solid base and foundation there to build on and just start doing what you want to do and do it your way. And you already know what that is, it's just having the courage to go, you know what. The label were wrong for me. The way that was done was wrong for me. It threw me off course. I need to get back on course. I need to just go back doing it the way I always did and the way I enjoyed. End of full stop. And the thing about it is, when something like that happens, you start second guessing the way that you like doing things. It feels like you're wrong rather than they're wrong. Yeah. Well, I don't, there's no wrong. There's just, how well, would you just say different. It? There's just like, yeah, exactly. Like, what I mean is like they're wrong, as in you want to do things differently to the way they think you should be doing things, and they like to do things. It's just different, a different point of view. But you start thinking that your method and the things, the way you like to write or the way you like to do things, 
is wrong just because their method is different. But I, I also, I could have just spoken up and said no, but I just thought I didn't have the balls to do it. Like, you know. Yeah, but also you're like, they're the experts. Yeah, yeah. Better, yeah. But as I said, like now you have the experience of that's it, it, it wasn't, as you said, there was nothing wrong with it. It was just an experience. And now you can kind of build on that experience and build on your base and find the fun in it and, and get going. And I think that's what I, everybody wants you to do. Yeah. I, I'm I'm here on behalf of everyone. On <laughs> speaking on behalf of the world, <laughs> I was sent. I was sent. Somebody <laughs> said, "Go and talk to Anya Cal and tell her that we, we want her back again." Um. So listen, we'll we'll hear from you soon, Anya. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, let's say maybe within a year or two. How about that? Oh. I don't think I can wait that long. Well, you're gonna. <laughs> you're gonna have to. Yeah. I think whenever, whenever, whenever is right for you. That's that's the. That's yeah, the but you like. It's just like if you were working somewhere, you just kind of get sick of the way things are for a while. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just get you just get burned off with things, and then you're yeah. Like, oh, I actually enjoyed this now again. It's like exactly. I'm, I think I was just in a little like slump of the whole thing yeah that's that's just it like cool. I, I could feel totally different in a month's time or after the summertime or when lockdown's finished i could be like oh, yeah. i'm back yeah you know yeah when you, start, when you start seeing those sunny days and the winter's over and you're like okay let's do this let's go exactly and that's it as like like the day you woke up and you realized you had a brilliant voice you'll just wake up one morning yeah i might wake up again and Realize it again. Realize you you love it. Anya, thanks a million for your time and for talking to me. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much, Keith. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Well, there you go. I think that that's the podcast that has it all. Bit of talk about the gap, bit of talk about cabin, a bit of talk about music, a bit of talk about trying to work with a label, a bit of talk about Glastonbury having your face on the side of a bus. Um, I can't even remember everything we talked about, but it was good. And um, Anya was a great guest, and I really enjoyed talking to her, and I can't wait to hear more music from her. And, you know, I think she's probably just in a, at, a, at a phase, at a, at a stage, where she's like, you know, fuck it, fuck everything, fuck you, fuck that, fuck... You know, and that's... I think we all go through that. I went through a bit of that myself. Um, I feel like I'm coming out the other side of it now I have days though where I'm just like you know what fuck this shit but then you have good days and good things happen and you just you know turns things around even within a day like like today those moments where I was like I just cannot today I cannot do today and then then I went for a run did about 5k didn't really want to, but uh, kind of loved it in the end, and then I was in great form afterwards. And it's kind of obvious stuff like that, isn't it? That you're like, okay, I'll go for a run. It's not going to help. And then, then everything's better. So, kids, go for a run and listen to Anya Cal. If you haven't listened to Anya's music before, I highly recommend it. Thank you. I know. Um, that's it for me. I'm going to go to bed at some stage. Please be well. Mind yourself. Get out for a run or a walk if you're not feeling it. 
if you can't go for a run or walk just take the day off don't feel guilty about it it's the guilt isn't it fucking feeling guilty about it Jesus Christ I was talking to my wife the other night Suzanne is her name and uh, I was um, and I was saying do you reckon there's people who can just who could genuinely just like if they had enough money just kind of lounge around all day have a little nap watch a bit of TV maybe read a book maybe go for a walk you know they just do exactly what they feel like they want to do and not feel guilty at all or anxious or freaked out the thing that I work hard I work hardest at is being in the moment and it's ever since I heard the explanation I don't know if I've said it on here before but if you live too much in the future so if you're worried about tomorrow or what might happen say for instance you don't do something because of what might happen you're living in the future so if you live too much in the future you suffer from anxiety or you could do if you live too much in the past you could suffer from depression that's the two future anxiety past depression and that's why you that's why I try to live as much as I can in the present which I find really hard because I would have always spent a lot of the time a lot of time in my head kind of trying to deal with life but with other shit going on in my head like a completely different parallel universe or several parallel universes it's even things like watching something or listening to something without judgement just trying to watch a comedy show and just not no judgement just because you find yourself you could watch a comedian or watch a a TV show or a film or whatever and you find yourself thinking or even a chat show and you start thinking about who the person is instead of listening to what they're saying and just taking in taking it in in the moment you've got all these thoughts of like who they are what that person means to you you know judge, judging judging them what are they wearing what are they saying why do they look like that why is their hair like that was oh man it's relentless and bloody tiring anyway namaste thank you for coming to my dead talk I gotta go to bed have a good evening uh, email me if you've any questions or thoughts keithwalshpod at gmail.com and thank you, Goodbye. Good night. Oh, yeah. And uh, what's my sign off? Um, and may we be forever in the hands. And may we be forever in the now. Doesn't really work. I'll work on it. I'll get back to you. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 